SF City Insider, a San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Trisha Thadani, a City Hall reporter at the Chronicle. My colleague Dom Fracasa and I spoke to leading candidates in each district race up for grabs in November. This episode, we spoke to District 4 candidate Trevor McNeil. He's a public school teacher and a father of three. He's a pro-housing candidate and the only one in this race who would support a navigation center in the district. But the question stands if he can grab enough attention from voters before November. Trevor McNeil, thank you so much for coming to the City Hall Press Room. Thank you for having me. Um, so to begin, we will give you 60 seconds to do your little elevator pitch, um, and we will be timing you. So three, two, one, go. Well, my elevator pitch is uh, every candidate's elevator pitch, because most candidates, when asked why they're running, they say the same thing. They love San Francisco, <laughs> they like helping people, and they care about the issues. Um, when it comes to loving San Francisco, I think I've proven that by being a San Franciscan. I do love my city, I love my neighborhood, and I care about it deeply. In terms of um, helping people out and being of service, um, I'm a public school teacher. You don't do that for the glory or the money. You do it because you like helping young people. Um, But it's not just my teaching. I've also always been someone who shows up nerdily to help out, whether it's being on the board of my neighborhood association, whether it's running for the Democratic County Central Committee or serving District 4 on the Pedestrian Safety Advisory Committee. And I currently sit on the Parks Recreation Open Space Advisory Committee. Um, And so I'd like to help out. And when it comes to the issues, housing, public safety, these aren't abstractions. I've got three kids under four. They're the new generation of San Franciscans, and I want to do everything I can to make sure that as the city grows, it creates a sustainable future that they can imagine living in. Mm-hmm. You got three more seconds. Vote for well, Trevor no. McNeil. <laughs> <laughs> Good use of your last few seconds. Amen. Um, so you were the last candidate to pull papers in this race. Um, so why did you wait as long as you did? You know, I think that it wasn't... It was a combination of things. It was the shock on, of Katie Tang not running. And it also was, I never wanted to run for supervisor. It wasn't like something I had yearned for. It wasn't something I had calculated for. And it is a disruptor. I mean, every day that I'm campaigning, I love it. I love going door to door. I also love playing with my kids. Um, but my wife and I had a long conversation. I talked to other people too. And really, it was about our kids. Um, we've been living in District 4. From, I've been in the Sunset for most of my adult life, and we brought all three of our kids home from the hospital to District 4 to our one-bedroom apartment. That's right. Three kids. One bedroom. In a one-bedroom, third-floor walk-up. And, you know, affordability is real for us. My wife had to leave her full-time job because daycare times three, forget about it, mm-hmm. and I'm a public school teacher. And if that story is able to be part of City Hall everything else will, Mm. I think, be better. Um, I looked at the ballot. I realized that I was the only person who had run for office before. I looked at the, uh, you know, the ballot. Which uh, office was that that you had run for? Oh, I had run for the Democratic County Central Committee in 2006, Mm -hmm. and I served for six years, four as vice chair. Um, But yeah, I looked at the other candidates who were all good people and nice people, um, but I was one of only two who had sat on a city committee before. And really, in a ranked choice world, you never know who's going to win. And so I said, let's throw, throw our hat in, see how it lands. And immediately, the very next day, I got Fiona Ma's sole endorsement. And immediately, the next day, everyone said that was such a great thing to do. And I started realizing that, yes, um, to be a young dad on the Board of Supervisors, to be a native San Franciscan on the Board of Supervisors, especially with this mayor, um, I think would be such a positive role to the conversations that we have about public policy in an authentic way because 
this is it. <laughs> I'm not running for Congress. I'm not running for mayor. I'm a dad and a public school teacher. This would be an amazing hiatus and really great adventure. But ultimately, I'd be so concentrated on the, that job, that future for my kids. So for me, it was a no-brainer, actually. Uh, Trevor, I'd like to talk about housing for a second. Um, it's, uh, I think, a significant part of your platform as a supervisor. You mentioned you know, affordability is a very real concern for you and your family. I want to be blunt. Are District 4 residents NIMBYs when it comes to building more housing? Generally, there is a reputation uh, on the west side of the city and in District 4 specifically that folks just won't tolerate that in an effort to, to preserve the kind of single family, uh, if you will, and there's air quotes here, uh, the, the, the suburban uh, environment within the city. So are, are they NIMBYs in District 4? Where does that reputation come from? Um, I don't think they're NIMBYs in di- District 4 as much as people think. I think that part of the YIMBY movement, and I hope people can hear the difference. Yes in my yeah, backyard. The yes in my backyard thing came out of frustration. It did. And now it's a proper political movement. And, that, and so frustration isn't the same word. But I think YIMBYs with a Y came, came down the mountain with a lot of passion. And they came down the mountain from uh, places where there were, um, you know, huge empty lots that no one wanted to build up. You know, big parking lots south of Mission that... People said, oh, no, you'll mess with my view. And that kind of frustration. So they were doing battle with some real NIMBYs with an N. And I think on the West side, when, you, when, when people hear about some things that the YIMBYs were talking about, upzone everywhere, right? It was too much. But recently, and you can ask YIMBYs this too, there, there's been, and I don't want to say a change in messaging because that sounds like it's an advertising thing. I think it's actually much more authentic than that. At the planning commissions, at these meetings, you have people showing up saying, I'm your son. I'm your grandson. I need a place to live. That is instantly recognizable because, yeah, you could say the West Side is single family homes, but the emphasis is on family. It's not just single family homes. It's multi-generational homes. That, that big C from you know, uh, District 1 to uh, District 10 even that's where you find multi-generational families in San Francisco. And so actually, I think they are primed for understanding that when I bought my house in you know, 1958, it was me and my wife, and now we had three kids, and now we have 12 grandchildren, right? You see the need. Um, and so actually, I think that District 4 and the West Side of ta- Town is primed. I just think that you need to be realistic. I don't want to build skyscrapers in District 4. That doesn't make any sense. Forget the you know the sand and the liquefaction and the fact that it probably wouldn't get through you know a, a DBI inspection. It really doesn't make sense. However, if you want to go up a floor along transit corridors or even uh, in single-family homes, they're all uh, zoned for 40 feet. They're all 20 feet. You could elegantly add an extra floor. You can elegantly add an ADU. You could elegantly add to the density. Um, and I think that would not harm the neighborhood characteristic. And I always say this. I say that the, the characteristic of the neighborhood isn't just the houses. It's the people who live inside the houses, right? When I think about a neighborhood, I don't think, oh, I love these buildings. I say, oh, I love my neighbors. I love r- running into people at coffee shops, right? And I think that really focusing on that community, because it's not, it's not just that homeowners want to preserve their home. 
they want they want to preserve their neighborhood because they invested in their neighborhood. They invested in the people in the neighborhood, and so that's where the concern is. So I actually I actually think that there's a way to have that conversation. Do you feel like the 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 two sides, if you will, not not to be divisive, of course, but, but, I understand. but do you feel like there is a, a a movement on both sides toward the center of this I do. issue? Okay. I do, okay. especially, and I think we're going to see that on the west side if you have sort of authentic uh, conversations. And as somebody who well, I don't want to say through no fault of my own, but as somebody who happens to have three kids, um, you, can, <laughs> you, can, uh, you can really have that conversation. You can say, you know, I need my, a place for my family to live, full stop. However we get there, I'm, I'm willing to be a part of that journey. Mm-hmm. And we also have the highest number of retirees. Let's talk about the cost of senior care. Let's talk about the, the ability to retire in dignity in an ADU in the, in, in the back of your kids' homes. I mean, you're strengthening families, you're saving costs, and you're probably saving lives. I mean, mm-hmm. it really is, the more, you, the more you get into it, it's actually greater density is almost a pro-West Side um, movement if mm-hmm. you if you think about it in those terms so that's one thing yeah. that i'm really excited about in this race and and you in particular i'm not sure if you'd mentioned this but you in particular really feel the need for housing because you and your family have been on the below market rate housing list yes. for a couple of years yep. at this point yep. yeah yep. do you want to talk about that yeah so you know um i always assumed that we we wouldn't qualify and and i was right for quite a while mm-hmm. um and with when our family turned into a family of five and my wife wasn't able to work because of the cost of daycare, we were finally able to kind of figure out the system enough to actually qualify for BMRs. Um, and it actually wasn't that easy because for a while the city was giving us sort of two, two lines of uh, holding my wife's previous income against her. Mm. So even though she wasn't working now, they looked at the last three years of income and we were like, but the children. And so we were able to get that wave, but it was a process and that's something that could definitely be streamlined. Mm-hmm. But then you look at the list of BMRs. I mean, just, just go to the website right now of the, 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 you know, 20 units, two are more than one bedroom and the AMI cutoff for that really is uh, limiting. So what is something as supervisor that you could specifically do to sort of alleviate that problem for families like your own? Well, I'm sure um, you're not the only one. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and I, I really like um, Supervisor Safai uh, took a lead on this last year, you know, asking the city to build more two and three bedrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where you have to start. In below market. Yeah, right for housing. below market, for inclusionary housing. Um, I think you have to you have to start there. There are some things you could do with rent stabilization once you have a family. Um there, there's, there's some, there's more that can be done that is being done now. And what I think is, is part of it is political will, mm-hmm. and part of it is also, uh, I don't want to say priorities because I don't think anyone's anti-family because I don't want to accuse <laughs> anyone. But at the same time, you're, you're, you're dealing with this passionate problem and it's complicated. And a developer says, "I can build you 40 affordable units," and you're like, "That's 10 more than the other developer." Done. Well, those are all studios. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I want to at least start thinking about how can we change our, you know, look at all of the goals that exist, because right now our development and permitting process is all based on goals. It's all based on these numbers. What numbers can you hit? And I want to make sure that within that framework, we're thinking 20 years down the road. Right. Mm-hmm. We're thinking, wait a minute, who's actually moving into this neighborhood or are they just are we counting on them to sell in 10 years mm-hmm. um, and just be honest about that. So that's that's one way. And the other way, I like I said, is you know, an elegant increase in density um, because the more you can, you know, I live now in a two bedroom. Well, it's much better than my one bedroom, but we could use 
we could use some help. And mm -hmm. so I think the more that you uh, streamline permitting, the more you uh, think through the lens of how does this project, how does this bill, how does this policy benefit a family, I think it's better. And I really do have to just say, for the yeah. record, I'm not anti-not family, right? <laughs> like, if, if you don't choose, if you choose not to have children or you're single or, you know, get down with your bad self, that's great. But I do think that public policy is benefited from looking through the lens of family. Mm -hmm. If like, if I can get to my family to Muni, to the hospital on Muni, you are going to have a great commute. Mm -hmm. If I can walk through Golden Gate Park with my family and feel safe, you're going to have a great picnic, right? Like, no matter, no matter what it is, it's, it's everyone benefits in a city of families. Yeah. So, so switching gears a bit um, to homelessness. So mm -hmm. you were, you were one of the only candidates in the District 4 race who said that you wouldn't say no to a navigation center. <laughs> yes. Now you acknowledge that the district, because it has the lowest homeless population Absolutely. in the city, might not need one, but you had said that it's not necessarily productive to just put a blanket no. Um, it's so it's you know it's it's no secret that areas like Sunset, like the Sunset, have long avoided adding homeless services to the area. What do you say um, to residents who might? vehemently opposed to the idea of bringing a navigation center or homeless or permanent homeless services into the district I mean I would say I totally understand um, I also don't think it will ever happen I mean despite have we have the lowest homeless population and we have the largest geographic district in the city the idea that it would make any sense to build a navigation center anywhere in the sunset where there's so few uh, multi-story, uh, multi-unit buildings. There are so few uh, storefronts that aren't actively used by the community, and there's so few empty lots. It'll never happen. But again, I would say that you want to have a supervisor who bases things on facts. You want to have a supervisor who says, you know what, if the city comes and has, you know, this need, has this opportunity, there, there, there has to be, you have to be open to it. I'm not saying I would do everything the city does. I don't trust technocrats automatically. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm going to push back. Trust me, when it comes to MTA, when it comes to PUC, when it comes to some of these departments, they need some oversight. They need some neighborhood pushback. But I think to outright say that something is not appropriate for a neighborhood, I'm not a homelessness expert. And frankly, even though some people have more experience with homelessness and city planning on the ballot, no one is. And we're going to be here for eight years, and a navigation center is a, is a longer-term project, and its services are, uh, have a longer-term impact. And so I think you need to be honest about that, and that's where that answer comes from. If someone from planning says, we want to build a, a navigation center in District 4, I probably would say, really? No. That's insane. Like, you have to build it somewhere else and walk down the road, uh, knock on another supervisor's house and say, hey, you have twice my homeless population and three times my density. Why don't you have one? I mean, you have to have that conversation, to be honest. But I don't know. I refuse to say flat out, I think that's bad policy. This is the first supervisorial race for District 4 in a long time that hasn't featured an incumbent candidate. I that. Yes. <laughs> How festive. The uh, uh, outgoing supervisor, Katie Tang, um, has endorsed her legislative aide. I want to ask you, though, do you think the district needs a new direction? And what are your takeaways from, from Supervisor Tang's time in office? What do you want to do differently? So I don't know if the district needs a new direction like Katie Tang has done anything wrong. Um, I think that... The district has changed since 2006, uh, demographically and in some other ways. I mean, when you have a feature article about restaurants and Bon Appetit, watch out. Like, that's, that's new for the outer sunset. 
I've, no, I don't think the district is going to the pits. Um, I think the district could benefit. And it's not a criticism of Katie, but I think that it is one way that I would try and bring things into a new direction. I think the, the district could benefit from being part of larger city conversations. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people ask me, well, uh, isn't it that the sunset doesn't care about what happens in the Tenderloin? Actually, no. Like, people talk about homelessness, not sunset homelessness, a lot. People talk about needles, and we don't have that big of a problem with needles. We do have a problem, but it's not, it's not tenderloin levels. And so that tells me that my district is actually very empathetic. Mm -hmm. Part of the other problem, though, is that when talking to voters and having lived there for quite a while, when someone in the sunset has a problem, whether it's the disaster that is Sunset Boulevard and the trees that have died there, or if it's some traffic calming measure, or if it's something that's just frustrating, we'll raise our hand and say, hey, City Hall, can you look at this? And there is a perception that City Hall kind of rolls their eyes, a bunch of homeowners, no real crises. We're, we're putting out fires here downtown, so people in the Sunset, they, it's not that they're forgotten. It's just that they don't necessarily have as much of um, a, a pressing need. And we're happy to pay our property taxes. We're happy to help out, but we do want a little more. So in that sense, one of the plus sides of having a contested election is one, I'm really involved in the neighborhood in, in, in outreach, but also there is a benefit to politics. Politics is always seen as a negative thing, but what politics is also about is about bringing people together. What politics is also about is weighing legislation and weighing cost-benefit analyses and learning how to do battle. Like, I think that, you know, while it's not a city position, being on the Democratic County Central Committee for six years, we had to make endorsements. We had to please multiple sides. We had to balance policy. We had to think long-term. We had to think short-term. We had to think practically. We had to think politically. And that's an important mindset. We are in City Hall right now, mm -hmm. right? I'm going to be not doing battle with because my other 10 colleagues are all friends, mm -hmm. but you know they have their priorities. They want to put their districts first. They have some different nuanced things, and I need to be able to stand up, and I need to be able to activate uh, networks. I need to be able to advocate effectively. And I actually think that's something that is benefited when you don't have the cycle of incumbency we had. Mm -hmm. Katie Tang, Carmen Chu, highly qualified. I mean, they've been, they've been excellent. They know their policy. They've done a lot of historic stuff. I think that there is a level of which tussling with folks um, isn't in their nature. And so I think that's one way that I would have been, I would be different, and that's one of the benefits of a contested election. Is tussling with folks more in your nature? Uh, it's not in my nature, <laughs> okay. but you do have I to deal with seventh graders all oh, day. Yes, <laughs> so. and I love them. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't. I'm not running to poke anyone in the eye, but sometimes you have to say, "Uh, uh, MTA, this is this is ridiculous," or mm -hmm. "Uh, uh, supervisor blank, you really need to pay attention to me." Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, you survived the first portion of oh, our podcast. Okay. Now okay. we're entering the lightning round. Okay, so number one, what is the first piece of legislation you would like to sponsor if elected as supervisor? I don't know if it's legislation or if it would be a review, but I think a hearing on uh, family housing uh, is, is needed, um, both in terms of what that looks like for ADU implementation, um, but also I would really like to see some numbers because again there's that there's that tracking of units so mm -hmm. something around uh really creating uh metrics to judge development based on how will it serve families 
one of the perhaps most closely watched uh, ballot measures uh, locally uh, in November is going to be and is uh, Prop C, our city, our home. Where do you fall on on that measure? I'm yes on Prop C um, for the, for a few reasons. One, um, it do, it is about uh, ending homelessness, not just managing it. Um, I am yes on Prop C, mostly thanks to, and I never thought I'd be grateful for, Mr. Trump. Uh, the the tax break that folks are getting from him. Is, makes Prop C much less damaging. I am worried about Prop C because I think it will pass, and I think it should pass, but I'm worried, I, I don't like budgeting at the ballot box. Um, I'm generally against it, and I think that if this becomes sort of the way people think, oh, how, how I can do public policy, that we're going to, I'm not always going to be in favor of uh, taxes for feel-good measures. But Prop C, right now, in this moment of crisis, after the election we just had, I think it makes sense. So you served on DCCC with London Breed and David Chu. Mm-hmm. Um, among others. Among <laughs> others. Um, but I mentioned them. You'll see why when I get to the rest of my question. Um, so you said that a lot of time when you would vote, you would mostly be in line. with. You said you were usually stuck in the middle with Chu. Yes. Um, and so David Chu and London Breed have both been considered moderates um, and now... We know no one likes being put into a box when it comes to political labels, whether it's progressive or moderate. But as you know, in this building, it does matter. Um, So, I mean, how do you do you consider yourself a moderate um, and how do you feel about that label? I don't like any labels. Mm -hmm. Um, In San Francisco, we have so much in common that I think it's it's crazy uh, to really focus in on this level. And so because of that, yeah, I'm probably a moderate, mostly because. I feel like there's a there's a camp in the progressive movement that is so much about naming themselves progressive, and that's what matters. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't go to the right parties. I don't hang out with the right people. I don't I don't have the inside track on what's important. Um, and and I and I am pro development. I am in favor of uh, building more housing because one, that's the way we fund everything. If you want better schools, if you want better muni, if you want a cleaner city, you need to build more housing. That's where we're going to get our money. Two, as I said in my intro, I've got a personal stake in this. And three, there's some things that I think are reasonable. So on that Democratic County Central Committee, um, I was against uh, uh, the uh, the uh, Prop uh, 8 Washington, which is ma- this major development by the Ferry Building. Yeah, yeah. And there were just a few tweaks that they could have made to win me over, and they weren't there, and it was it was too much profit, and not, and we could have gotten a little more. I think the city should be as greedy as developers in terms of getting the most out of things. But then the next election cycle, there was this Prop B thing, which says that we have to go to the voters every time we do any height increase from zero to one inch along the waterfront. And I said, wait, no, that that's too much. That's insane. Especially the southeast, there's so much under undeveloped waterfront. Uh, voters aren't necessarily always going to be the wisest uh, planning department staff. And sure enough, we had, um, what was it, uh, Pier 70, the, the, the shipyard thing. Mm-hmm. They had to go to the voters. They had to spend millions of dollars on something that was literally uncontested. The Giants had to do the same thing for, uh, what was it, Mission Rock? They had to go to the voters. Not a single person contested it in the, in the ballot. And part of our job on the DCCC was supposed to be a guardian of democracy. And people don't take elections seriously if you put little things like that yeah. on. So after that vote, I wasn't invited to parties anymore. I mm. was considered a moderate. So, you know, I, I like I, we've we've already talked about navigation centers. It drives me crazy that so-called progressives could be against navigation centers in their district wholesale and say, no, no, it's okay for navigation centers only to live in low-income places. And you know, and all that does is it 
solidifies segregation. It solidifies poverty. It solidifies the problem in places where it already exists. And that doesn't seem progressive to me. Mm-hmm. Last question. Most difficult question of the entire lot. Um, so you are a dad to three really adorable kids, by They're the way. Cute. I saw them okay. the other day. Um, what do you guys do for fun? Do you ever take some time for yourself? Oh, we, we, we have fun. Um, <laughs> my kids are actually really mobile. You can take them almost anywhere. Mm. Um, mobile or noble? Mobile. 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 Okay. Like they, they, have, they, have, they have testified with me multiple times at public comment and city hall. Um, you can just take them to uh, the park anytime. If it wasn't for a campaign, I'd be at Hardly Strictly Bluegrass this weekend. Um, oh, I didn't know that was this weekend. Yeah, it's good um, to know. they are they are fantastic. But you know, we still have fun. You know, we we go to Celia's on Judah uh, every Wednesday. They have uh, t- wait Tuesday. They have um, uh, kids eat free. No, Wednesday they have kids eat free. Tuesdays Taco Tuesday. <laughs> There's some great deals. There's some great deals, and we try and we try and rotate that in. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Trevor. Thank you so much of for course, coming. In. Thank you. This show is a part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. It was produced by me, Dom Fercasa. For more City Hall coverage, visit sfchronicle.com.